just a very short uh, reading today. We're, uh, we're picking up today uh, the Meals with Jesus series, which some of you will have, uh, will have been doing at home, um, hopefully around your, your tea tables. And this is the story that we've had just so brilliantly acted out for us um, about Martha and Mary. And the reading is simply this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray, and then we'll we'll have a little look at that. Father God, I I thank you for the opportunity to to be in church this morning, to, to hold Zoom from church. Lord, we're looking forward to a day coming when we can meet together physically. We pray that you would speed on that day. Pray that you'll let nothing stand in its way. We pray, Father God, you will push back um, this virus in our country through supernatural means and through the means that are laid out there by government. Um, Lord, that you'll allow us to come back together and meet as a church family and to meet our own families. Lord, we're longing for that day. But for now, Lord, be with us in our homes, in the different places where we are, and we ask you, Um, to speak to us, Lord Jesus, uh, through your word. We want to hear you, Jesus, and by your Holy Spirit um, speaking to us. So we come away knowing um, that we've spent at least a few moments this morning uh, listening to Jesus. And we ask it in your name. Amen. So, challenge this morning is going to be getting the technology to work, but I think we're on our way. Are we, do, are we good, Bill? Good to go. Well, I wonder when lockdown ends, um, who will be the first people that you want to have um, round your house? And I bet you've already got some people on your list. And then when you've had people round your house, I wonder uh, when the time comes, who will you want to go out for a drink with or a meal? And I bet you've got a plan. Um, I bet you've got a list of family that you want to meet and and maybe some friends you you want to um, get together with. But once you've done that, who will you have around your house? Going forward, um, in the months, in in the years even to come, uh, to invite somebody around for a a meal is a really, it's actually a really intimate thing. It's a uh, self-giving thing. And you may be one of the gregarious types who who does it all the time. Um, For some people, it is is a a real opening up of of the soul, and it is harder. But I want to turn it around and ask you another question. Who are the people you would not accept an invitation from? If you invited to go uh, to the local section of the National Front or or if you're of the opposite persuasion or the, the local meeting of the Socialist Workers' Party, who are the people? Who, is there a group of people you would think, I, I just, I wouldn't accept an invitation. It would make me feel uncomfortable or it would just um, seem inappropriate. 
So in this short series, we're going to watch Jesus sharing meals um, with some interesting characters. And I want you, I want us to ask ourselves some honest questions. Who does Jesus say he has come to rescue? Who does Jesus say he has come to rescue? And I want you to ask the question, is that me? Is that me? Am I in one of these categories? Who, where am I um, in this story? I want us to ask another question. Do I, um, do my family, do we as a church offer a Jesus-like welcome to the people that Jesus welcomes? It's a, it's a very practical question. Um, and one that our design group have been challenged to look at. We've been looking at um, in the background. Uh, we'll tell you a little bit at church meeting coming up. Uh, we've been looking at what are the possibilities for the buildings. But it's thrown up some bigger questions about how do we use our site? How can we use our site to offer a Jesus-like welcome to the people Jesus welcomes? And I would ask you to bear that in mind and hold on to that thought as we look at the people Jesus welcomes and the way he welcomes them. But first off, a little bit of catch up. I want us to catch up with um, some of the stories we've, we've, not, uh, we've not seen. Uh, and the first person in the series that Jesus ate with was, was Levi. He was a tax collector. So he was a Jew collaborating with the Roman overlords and making a fast buck for himself on the side. That made him a deeply, deeply unpopular figure, a hated figure even. He's like a Nazi collaborator um, in occupied France during World War II. He really is somebody of that kind of status. Um, Jesus calls him, says, come up and follow me. And, and Levi got up and he left everything um, and he followed Jesus. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of anything looking back into the covenant series? Does it remind you of the start of a covenant relationship? Abraham and the Lord said to Abraham, I want you to get up and go where, where I lead you to go. And then later on, the people of Israel under Moses, uh, they got up and went and they followed the pillar of cloud uh, and the pillar of fire uh, out of Egypt. And so like them, Levi gets up, leaves everything and follows Jesus. He then throws uh, a great banquet, a collaborators convention so that he can have all his friends around, but also he can introduce them to Jesus. And Jesus attends. That's the amazing thing. He is happy to be the guest of honor. Could you imagine that in World War II France? And the Pharisees, the nice church folk, they um, complain. Why does Jesus eat um, with undesirables? And Jesus answered them like this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we know that this is the start of a covenant relationship uh, because Levi is Matthew, the apostle and the gospel writer. So that's Levi. If you've been doing the series, you'll remember him. Here's another guy you'll remember. Uh, but if you haven't, uh, we, we met a Pharisee called Simon. Um, he invites Jesus to dinner. But it's gatecrashed by an unnamed woman. And she wept so much that her tears were sufficient to wash Jesus' feet with. Um, he was reclining at the table. He wasn't sitting on a chair. So she wiped um, his feet 
with her hair. And then she poured perfume, poured perfume on them. She's come prepared for this. She's brought an expensive bottle of perfume to, to bring as, a, as an offering, an honoring um, to Jesus. And when the Pharisee, Luke 7 tells us, when the Pharisee had in, uh, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she's a sinner. This woman has a reputation. We don't know what that reputation is, but we can guess. It's most likely to do with sex and relationships. And can I just ask, it struck me as, we, as I was writing, are you... Do you have a reputation? Do you have a reputation for a certain kind of behavior? That's, that's quite scary, isn't it? I guess if you do, you might actually be the last person to, to realize. And in churches, and it would be great if as we come back and meeting together, we just we want to this year concentrate on prayer, but we want to be godly people. Perhaps we could deal with those places where we have a reputation. Do you have a reputation for being grumpy? Do you have a reputation for being um, unreliable, not at things on time? Do you have a reputation for not keeping confidences? Do you have a, a reputation for um, not keeping sex within marriage where it should be? Now, love in the church covers a multitude of sins but it would be better if we didn't have to. I have good news. If that's you, I have good news and bad for you, uh, which we'll come to in a minute. But I want to just ask another thing. Um, do you come prepared for costly worship? It just strikes me that this, this woman, she comes, um, and she comes with a vastly expensive jar of, jar of perfume. Do you come prepared on a, on a Sunday morning uh, or whenever it might be, for, for costly worship. What does it cost you? I, I think Zoom's been amazing, hasn't it? And I do thank you for, for keeping coming to Zoom and that we've been um, a committed body of people uh, worshipping together on Zoom. But it's really easy, isn't it, to, to, to roll out of bed and come in your pyjamas at the last moment, eating your breakfast and, and, and nobody sees. I wonder how could you be more like this woman? In a sense, you're ready to bring your, your costly worship to Jesus. Could you spend a few moments listening to worship on your own so your heart is in the right place? Could you spend a little bit of time in the Bible? Could you have your, your quiet time ahead? Just some thoughts. But in this story, Jesus has an accounting lesson uh, for, for, uh, for Simon. I won't go back into it in detail, but he says essentially to Simon, your love is in proportion um, to your cancelled debt. Your love, your love his, the love for Jesus in this situation is in proportion to your cancelled debt. In reality, your love for Jesus, and this will be true of you and it's true of me, is, is to the measure that you appreciate that your debt of sin has been cancelled. And Jesus says to Simon, and your response, your love, mate, is, is pretty cool, is pretty cool. And he tells the woman that her sins have been forgiven. That's the good news if you're one of those people who you think might have a reputation. That's the good news. Your sins are forgiven by Christ. They're forgiven by the rest of us. But the important thing is that they're forgiven by 
Christ. The bad news is that you have a reputation and it's time to change. Then we came on to the story. Sorry, I lost track of the, um, uh, of the PowerPoint, as I usually do. Then feeding the 5,000. And I don't want to spend, say anything about this really, except to say that John, if we go to John's gospel, he tells us that the boy had five small barley loaves and, and, and two small fish. And I just get, it just winds me up when I hear that it's his packed lunch. Um, because unless he's a very hungry boy, it's not his packed lunch. Okay, you know, maybe he was Sam, you know, or another teenager. And maybe, maybe, possibly, he brings with him five barley loaves and two small fish. It's not his lunch. It's his mum's shopping. Or it's his dad's shopping. And so actually he does a very brave thing. He gives it away to Jesus. And in this context, we read the John story. Jesus says, um, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And actually, in this miracle, in this meal with Jesus, um, bread and wine will become the symbols of this new covenant. Bread and wine, very simple things and a simple meal becomes our opportunity to sit down with Jesus and eat with him and have communion with him. So it's interesting, isn't it? The covenant echoes um, in those three stories. Are you in a covenant relationship with Jesus? Are you going to get up and follow, leaving everything behind, relegating everything else behind your relationship with Jesus, put Jesus front and center and, and put everything second? Will you come and find it assurance that you're a, a forgiven sinner? Like a, like a lady with the bad reputation? Will you come and commune with Jesus by making Sundays a priority? And when we get the chance, meeting together and taking communion together. We'll do that on Good Friday. Which brings us to, to today's passage. And we'll do all this uh, without taking too long. Okay, Jesus comes to uh, Martha's house um, and she opens her home. We notice, we notice it's Martha's house. It's not Mary's house. And Mary, with, with others, sits at Jesus' feet. So I like this picture. See, the chance is that Jesus is acting like a rabbi or they're treating him like a rabbi. And there are a bunch of people probably sitting around Jesus' feet. So they're probably not even these two people standing like there is in this picture. They're probably all sitting around and Jesus' feet and, and listening. That was the uh, traditional posture uh, for learning from someone wise. Now, Mary is accepted by Jesus into that circle of, uh, of teaching, which in itself uh, were, was, unusual, was unusual. It's noticeable that Jesus accepts her. And Mary, we read, is distracted. And that literally means she's pulled away. She's pulled away. Her mind is pulled away. And so in her actions, she's, she's pulled away by the preparations that, that need to be made. And she asks, essentially, uh, she just she asks Jesus, um, tell Mary to come and help out here. It's an interesting kind of dynamic. Uh, it, um, Martha thinks it's a woman's work um, to make preparations. And she's expecting Jesus to agree. And I think it speaks to some kind of prior relationship. She's, either that or she's just very bold and outspoken, which she might be. And Jesus' response is, is intriguing. 
um, in these ways. Martha, Martha, he says, you're worried and upset about many things. You are worried and upset about many things. Martha is wrong here because her behavior has been motivated by worry and upset. She's a worrier. See, we're tempted to hold up uh, Martha as an example of, of, of sacrificial service. We even call the Martha teams who come and do sacrificial service in here. But she is a, a, a worrier. She's serving because she's a worrier, and Jesus said so. And he says, Mary has chosen um, what, is, what is better. And there's a kind of implied um, rebuke here, which is sort of mind your own spiritual business. Mary has chosen the better thing. Leave her alone. You work out what you are doing and why you're distracted by all this worry and upset. And he goes on to say that in this moment, only one thing is needed. And that is to listen to Jesus. Only one thing is needed at this moment. And it's to listen to Jesus. It's interesting. Again, if we go back to the John 6 story of the feeding of the 5,000. After, the day after um, Jesus has, has walked on the water, he's the other side of the lake. The crowd come round and find him and they wonder how he's got there. And they said to him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe the one he has sent. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to getting right with Jesus, there is no work that you can do. You can only listen to what he says and believe. And so Mary shows that she wants to be, or she already is in a covenant relationship with the Lord through Jesus because she wants to hear what he has to say. She's ready to be justified by grace through faith. She's ready to trust Jesus' words and be saved. Maybe she's already trusted Jesus' words and she's saved. So what does this mean for us? I want to think just very briefly about work so we don't get the wrong impression. I think this, understanding the Gospels is not always as straightforward as it seems. I don't want you to take an account from Levi and, and Mary um, that you don't need to do any work. Most of the gospel accounts are within the last three years of Jesus' ministry. This is crisis time. This is the moment for an all-out response to Jesus. And so what Jesus asks of people in that time is not necessarily precisely the same of what Jesus asked by his spirit to his church in this moment in time. Though don't use that as an excuse. Don't go away from this and say, Nick told us we don't need to, need to do what they did in the gospels. That's not what I'm saying. Just saying you need to, uh, to check it out and take it forward. See what the rest of the New Testament says. So let's take an example. Um, Levi gives up his occupation and, and, and to go away and follow Jesus. And we get the impression from that point in time that, that he's not working. And that's probably true. Mary chose to listen rather than, than to work. We might think that we just kind of, at this point in time, we get up and we follow Jesus. And we don't need to work. And that's not what the New Testament is saying. Interesting little um, exchange that Paul has with the church in Thessalonica. 
And he says, uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who's idle and disruptive and doesn't live according to the teaching you received from us. For you know yourselves, you yourselves know how we ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And we did this, not because we don't have the right to search help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Work is a good thing and idleness is not. Paul ex expects the Thessalonians to, to, to work for their living, not sit around waiting. Some of them, I think, are sitting around and waiting because they, they think the second coming is going to come, uh, you know, in the next few weeks or months, uh, and, and they stop working. Uh, and the end result is that they sponge off others. You do find people around churches like that. They, they just become idle and, and effectively um, sponge off other pieces. I can't think of anybody in, in Staines Kong, but it does happen. Paul chooses a kind of employment that makes him available for God's work. It's interesting. Paul is a tent maker so that he can follow Jesus wherever Jesus leaves. He's chosen an easily transferable form of employment so that he can always put a roof over his head. But his occupation is clearly secondary to his mission in life. And this is the message of Levi. This is the message from Paul. Could you lay down your work if Jesus called you to do so? If he called you and said, look, I want you to do this for me, X for me. And it means instead of your job, um, you did some stacking shelves or you did something which didn't take so much time. The question is, are you working in a way that allows you to serve the kingdom, serve Jesus, serve his church? Or are you serving church in a way that allows you to just carry on your job and your nice life? That's the, that's the challenge for us, and it is a challenge there um, about work. But the main lesson for today is simply this listening, listening to Jesus, isn't it? Jesus comes speaking um, words of salvation, life or death rescue. So the words Jesus speaks have eternal consequences, and this is something of the most seriousness. These words have consequences for you that stretch way beyond your death into, into a never-ending world. How you will live through the rest of, of eternity depends on your response to these words of Jesus today. So there has to come a point where you listen to this good news that Jesus says, look, you cannot be right with God. I will earn the obedience. I will pay the price. You trust in me. There has to come a point where you listen to this good news, where you listen to this over all other voices and, and priorities in your life. Otherwise, you risk going to eternal punishment for the sake of not paying attention. That's really scary. Will you go to eternal pain for the sake of just not paying attention when you had the chance. So put aside any thought that you can earn your way um, into the Lord's favor 
I think there's a kind of picture here as well, isn't there? Um, Martha wants to be right with Jesus uh, by working uh, and Mary is listening and Mary is doing the right thing. So put aside any thought that you can earn your way into the Lord's favour. You can't. Leave everything and follow. What, what Levi gets right is that he doesn't know that there will be a second chance here. What Mary gets right, I guess, is, is that she doesn't know whether there will be a second chance. So in terms of salvation, in terms of being right with God through Christ, you may not get a second chance. And I ask you to do something about it. I ask you to, to believe Jesus and to believe him today and to say, yes, I make you Lord. And I'm going to put everything secondary to that. So in the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about seed sown among thorns. Do you remember that story? Seed sown on the path and it ends up in four different places. And one of the places is among thorns. And Jesus says the seed fell among thorns, stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures. What's choking your response to the Lord? Maybe you have become a Christian, but it's just, it's no joy in it. It's not going anywhere. It's just working the routine. What's choking this life with, with the Lord? Is it worries? Is it riches? Or is it pleasure? Is it because you, you're fretting all the time? You haven't learned to trust Christ. Is it riches because your mind is on uh, money more than it's on anything else? Is it on pleasures? You can't, there are things you feel you can't give up. Uh, that Jesus won't give you enough joy. So that's the covenant obedience. That's, um, sorry, this is about covenant entry. We've been talking about coming to Christ, come to Christ um, this morning. But once you're in the covenant, there is still a kind of covenant obedience. There is a way um, that you can live that is blessed as a, a way that you can live, which is a struggle. And it's, it's your choice. And the way to live that, that is blessed, that is easy, that brings about good things, that allows God to bring good things into your life, is still to listen to Jesus. So covenant obedience, once you're in the covenant, once you're relating to God through Christ, is out of gratitude for, a, for an unpayable debt that you've had cancelled. And the obedience is simply this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. I say simply, that's not really true, is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says all the law is summed up in those two commands. Who are you going to welcome into your house when lockdown finishes? It's going to be all those people you love the most. But Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Could you manage that? Maybe you have a new friendship with a neighbor that you haven't before because you were out doing clap for carers. Don't let that fall now. Invite them around for a coffee. Get to know them a little bit better. That's the brave thing to do. That's the Jesus thing to do. 
Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, the writer of Hebrews says. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Wow. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It kind of seems, that level of obedience, I don't know about you, it kind of feels um, unachievable, doesn't it? And it's unachievable because we're not listening to Jesus through his word. So much of the Christian life we, we find unachievable because we're not listening to Jesus through his word. Let me try and explain that. When you listen to Christ by reading the scriptures prayerfully, it is not just direction you get. It is not just information you get. It is the power to change your heart. The word of God is living and active. When you, when you listen to it, it changes your heart. It gives you the strength to obey the things that you're struggling with. So if you're not listening to Jesus, let me put it like this. Through reading your Bible and prayer, you are in covenant disobedience. And so I ask you again, what is distracting you? What is pulling you away? What is dragging you away from listening to Christ? What is making you Martha and not Mary? If you haven't seen it already, I suggest you uh, pick up uh, Sarah Baldero's testimony from uh, Espresso Church, uh, a couple of meetings back about reading the Bible, because it's just, it's encouraging and it's inspiring um, and it's practical. So today, let's learn the lessons, let's learn the lessons uh, of, of Martha. Mind your own spiritual business. Stop comparing yourselves with others. You matter. You, you, we're, we're not comparing you with anybody else today. Just asking you to go to your master and say, are you showing him covenant obedience? It's only him, one master to whom you answer. Then do not worry. Do not worry. Jesus says that. Don't worry about your life. What you eat or what you drink or about what you, or your body or what you wear. Look at the, is life not more than food? Is the body more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't sow, they reap or store away in heaven, in barns rather. Your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the fields, flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry. And Jesus says this, and we'll finish with this, we'll finish. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own let's pray